And you think about your favorite teachers in your life. I want you to take a moment and just reflect on some of those great teachers um, that you learned from. Um, I want to think about some of those attributes, why that teacher is so important um, for you. Many of the students will recount uh, uh, characteristics or attributes. Um, some of them will say the teacher was funny or very wise or knowledgeable. Um, many of them, at the top of the list, they'll say that that teacher genuinely loved me or cared about me. And so we start thinking about those teachers and those attributes. And then there's another attribute I think it's kind of important as well. You'll see that good teachers can actually tell a good story. We're looking at the parables of Jesus. We're looking at some of the best stories ever told. And so when we look at that, we see those methods that Jesus used, and stories are, are part of it, but he did other things like that because the stories have a place. Um, Jesus would use a paradox occasionally. He would say something like, the, the blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That's not a normal um, assumption you would get, but it's a paradox. Um, if you want to be great, you actually have to be the least. Or the things that are hidden will be actually uncovered or disclosed. You'll see these things in his teaching. He'll use a para paradox. He would also use these things called epigrams. Now, the most important thing today is the Instagram, that you share information quickly. But this is called the epigram. It penetrates your mind and your thought with a quick thought or a phrase saying, look out for all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Or it'll say, whoever puts their hand on the plow um, and looks back, you're not worthy for the kingdom of God. These are penetrating statements that kind of haunt you a little bit. There's also um, uh, the hyperbole. Um, that's when you shock people with an outlandish statement. And he would say things like that. Um, you, if you have sin in your heart um, in, or your eyes cause you to sin, pull your eyes out. And this is ridiculous. You wouldn't do that uh, literally, but he used the hyperbole to arrest the attention and move you in to the meaning of what he's talking about. There's also good questions. I went through all of Jesus' questions, 277 questions in the four Gospels. I read all of them. And there's some of the most wonderful questions that you can answer. Sometimes the questions actually ask for a response, and sometimes it's going to haunt you and turn you around and cause you to think good questions. Your teachers will use really good questions. Sometimes they'll use humor, but now the humor in the Gospels, it's a little different. Um, it's not a, a, a knee slapper um, jokes or things like that, but you'll see that Jesus is going to describe leaders 
as people who are blind that's going to lead the blind. So that is kind of a, a funny, um, thoughtful way to say this is not the best way to do it. And Jesus will also use logic. Like Satan cannot oppose himself, otherwise his um, house will, won't stand. So he'll say things like that, that's through the whole concept, you need to walk through a concept completely. He'll say, if anyone is without sin, you can throw the first stone. You'll have to think through that one. Oh, that's right, there's a whole law about that. So you'll see that, um, and you'll see about the Sabbath. He would say something, when people are criticizing him about the Sabbath, Jesus will say, um, so what is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, or to save life or kill? Well, it's an obvious response, but to be able to go from one place to another, you have to go through a couple steps in your mind through the concept. So Jesus is a master teacher. I think the best part of his teaching ministry is telling stories, telling parables that capture the whole situation. It's like, this is why we love stories. This is why we relate to other people. When you sit down at a person in a, a restaurant or another uh, and an experience at their home, you'll sharing stories back and forth. That's all it is because we can relate to those stories and that's why Jesus asked that. Now, the parables in the Gospels, it's kind of interesting because in Matthew, um, there's no setup sometimes. It's just the kingdom of God is like this. But in Luke, you'll find parables that have a real specific answer to a problem, uh, like the Good Samaritan. Last week, we are talking about a person who's asking a question, and an earnest question, how do I have eternal life? How do I inherit that? And so Jesus will walk them through a conversation, but if that doesn't really work, I'm going to move you into a story so you can really relate. There's several stories that's just set up for one person, one point, one message. And so today, when we look at Luke 15, we'll see a story, or several stories, but a parable that's going to teach a point, a response. So we'll be looking at Luke 15 together. Um, some people, when I started, um, what was it, almost 30 years ago, I did um, a series on the parables of Jesus, and one of the deacons, or someone in the church, who had a lot of authority would criticize me and he says, why are you doing all these stories all the time? We want the meat, not the icing. And I'm saying, first of all, I don't see any kids eating cake without icing, first of all. Um, and secondly, I said, how is it possible that you can think a story is icing? But what is, the, what is the definition of meat? And he says, I want a lot of Bible verses. And I'm saying, that does not consist of a response to God's word. And in fact, Jesus would say in John 5, 13, 13, yeah, 39 said, um, you know all of the scriptures front and back, but you don't come to me 
to have life. So you can actually have a lot of Bible verses, but have no connection to the person of Christ. Let's say it again. I think uh, it's one of the theologians who said, you can get the point, but you can miss the person. So in all of this, in this parable, we'll start with the the person who's telling the story and what's going on. So Luke 15, we don't have PowerPoint slides or things like that. I just want you to open up your Bible and read every word in this parable. Every word is a masterful um, offering. There's nothing wasted in this parable. So when you look at that, you look at the reason why um, in Luke 15 you'll see that there is this conversation in the audience. And it says in verse one, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Now, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So these are the complainers. These are the haters. The first impulse for the religious leaders is to criticize. Now, you have to understand this. Jesus is just having dinner or having a, a meal with people. But when you start looking at the history, the long history of cultural um, concept of hospitality, this is very important. So the ancient cultural value of hospitality goes back even before the Jews and the Samaritans or even the Jews and Muslims. Long before in the culture, there's this idea that hospitality, if you invited someone into your house and you put food in front of them and you ate back and forth, that was a sacred relationship that you are binding yourself to that person. In fact, you are actually family in, in one sense. So that is one of those long history traditions that went all the way into the New Testament as well. We see it in the new church as well. But you'll see that this is not just a small thing that Jesus is doing, that he's actually gathering around. People are wanting to be close to Jesus, and Jesus invites himself into their midst, and he is eating with them. And for some, that was wrong. When I start thinking about um, what I do, I start getting a reputation about food, whether it's donuts or going out to lunch or having a feast. Um, it comes from an idea that comes out of the scriptures that, that, that there's something that happens when we eat together. Well, so we have a long table outside on the street. Why do we invite people to our table? Because something happens, intimate a relational moment happens at the table. Inviting students to a house or being in a place where you sit down and you eat. 
Maybe it's because our world is so busy that we don't eat together so much. But in this setting, in the Gospels, eating together was an event. It wasn't just something that you have to get in, you know, an alarm for, that I have to eat. This is time. But this is one of those moments, and you see Jesus doing that. And so notice, Jesus says in verse 3, it says, Jesus told them this parable. So in Luke 15, there's like four different stories here. So what is he talking about? Jesus is going to tell one parable, but with maybe three to four different stories. And these three to four stories are going to repeat over and over again. And these moments, these incidents, these angles of stories are going to capture an answer or a, let's say, a defense of Jesus because the leaders have made a complaint. They've written in whether it's an email or on a piece of paper, but it's usually they're saying it out loud through the crowd, as the word actually means in the Greek. It says it's, they, they were muttering through the crowd these words, this complaint. And so this parable is actually an answer to that complaint. And he starts with verse 4 for the first story. He says... Suppose if you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Now, think about that. This is a very unique way to set up a parable. All of the parables of Jesus, they don't have this phrase, but Jesus actually personalized this parable. He says to the whole congregation, the sinners and the leaders there, he says, okay, suppose you have a hundred sheep. Now, most of them probably don't have a hundred sheep. But I want you to imagine that you had a hundred sheep. I want you to personalize this whole experience because I'm going to ask you to do something different. And if you had a hundred sheep back then, you would be wealthy. You had you had servants and things like that. So likely, if you had a hundred sheep, you would never like do anything with it, you would actually hire a a servant or what we call them shepherds to take care of that. And honestly, I've been out there with a bunch of animals. You don't have, if you see a hundred sheep out there, you don't see one shepherd out there. How many you see? A bunch of them because sheep won't listen very well. So you have to have several people involved with this thing. So this is really a response to those Pharisees, those shepherds of Israel. He's saying, what if you had a hundred sheep and if you lost one? You see that language in that text? It says, they lost one. The owner lost the sheep? Well, no, I have people who, that that I pay for this. No. In the parable, it's actually the owner who takes ownership of the problem. Says, I lost this sheep. If you have a business and you have employees and they're driving a vehicle with your, your, the name of your company and you're driving around 
crazy or you hit someone, who's in fault? You'll say, yeah, well, that's the driver, but who gets sued? <laughs> that's the owner. You're the person who's responsible for all of this. And this is the key of this parable. You have to see it in this Um, this setting. Jesus is saying, I want you to personalize this problem. There's a sheep. You lost a sheep. It's your responsibility. Now, let's talk about this whole idea of blame, because blame is, it's not a helpful um, response to a problem. But in this case, he's saying, no, I'm going to find a solution. And you see Jesus trying to tell the story of redemption again in this moment, saying, identify with me when I'm sitting at the table with these people because I lost them into the wilderness. I lost them, and now I have them here. I'm going to bind myself to these people. He's going to do this in such a way that He owns the whole problem. It's almost like he's saying, I created this world and it went wrong. This is my world still. I fashioned people into my image, my image. So if you don't like that this is broken, you can sue me for this, but this is my idea. I gave the ability to choose good or evil or love or selfishness, the idea, the whole entire idea of freedom in my government is my plan. So you don't like that? If it's broken, If it needs a solution, sue me, find me. I'm the person. Don't blame a devil. Don't blame an angel. Don't don't blame a politician or a, a culture. This is my world, and I'm going to fix it. It's my responsibility. And you see Jesus saying to the leaders, when things go wrong, You don't blame it. You don't criticize it. You find a way. When love goes wrong instead of right, Jesus says, I paid the damages. When freedom and goodness sours, it's my problem. Do you see that today? Even though God would never plan or desire the brokenness that comes. God does not simply blame on his own fallen angel. He takes responsibility of the problem. This is why Jesus comes into the body of flesh and walks among us. He paid ransom and to redeem people, all people in his flesh. So Jesus defends his plan of salvation. Someone or something goes wrong, you gotta find a way to make it right. Personalize the problem. It's your moment to shine. And so the Pharisees were supposed to be shepherds of Israel. And Jesus calls them out and says, okay, Personalize this problem. This person is outside of the wilderness. Who is going to get them? 
They are lost. And instead of complaining that I'm bringing them back, why are you not doing this? And so Jesus makes the next phrase an easy answer to, question, to answer, but it's not an easy one to, to, to say it out loud. Jesus says in the next verse, uh, verse four, he says, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? He does. And, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And the story, like, like I said, there's nothing wasted in this story. The story's really not about a sheep, although we like to talk about fluffy sheep. It's the response of the shepherds that are in question right now. And when you look at all of the art and the um, images and the sculptures of this story in history, you have a shepherd who's bringing back a sheep with joy on the face. So it's like they put the animal on your back. Have you ever had to pick up an animal and carry it? I've had to carry a, a sheep or a goat and even an alpaca. I have to do an animal like that. You take dogs and things like that. It's a, this, is not a, this is a messy experience. It's hard work. It takes time. It's exhausting. And... There is no other way to bring this person back, this animal back. It's hard, messy work. There's no way to be more efficient or expedite the process or have a strategy that that might be, be faster and better and cheaper. It's always going to be one person at a time. I wonder if Jesus put that into this parable for a reason. We try, to, we try to please the masses, the, popul- the population. But what about the one? What about that one? And so, Jesus finishes the first story with the conclu- conclusion and the application. Take a look at this. It says, Then he says to all of his friends, here's the application, here's the reason why I did this. Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep. And then he says this, he says, now, the reason I told you this whole story is because this. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Before we look at this conclusion in the application, read the next story, because it's the same story, it's the same part of the same parable, but the second story is is, is a a defense of his mission, but it's a little bit different. It says, uh, or so, in verse eight, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and lost one. She doesn't light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? Of course she does. 
And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and say, rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In the first story, the, the owner of the sheep, the shepherd and, or the owner is a man. And who is the owner? What does it represent? The owner or the shepherd is God or the owner of the sheep is God. In the story of the lost coin, who is the woman represent? God is again. So it's almost like Jesus said, I'm going to tell two stories because I want to include just about everybody in this world right now. I'm going to take it from the standpoint of a man. I'm going to take it from the side of a woman. And I want everyone to understand that this is everyone's responsibility. Everyone is an invited. Everyone is at the table and everyone has a responsibility to take care of each other. And this woman, even in this story, it's a little different. There's a second time where this woman takes ownership of losing the coin. So I lost the coin and now I found the coin that I lost. Just admitted in all, owning the problem. And again, God takes responsibility for our redemption. So now, consider just kind of the conclusion of the first part of this parable. First of all, there's something about celebrating with people, those who are lost and found. The story of people who are at one place and brought to a place of grace is our best story in the Christian life. Even through the Old Testament, you'll find the Old Testament when it doesn't work to do memorizing things and putting things on the hands and stuff like that. In Deuteronomy 6, it says, in verse 20, it says, if kids are not getting any of this stuff, you tell them the story that I was a slave and now I was free again. See, there's something about telling that story. Celebrate what just happened in the life of a person. And also, I was going to say, the story teaches us what, is it, what it means to repent as well. Because in the story, in both stories, the sheep or the coin, like the sheep or the coin, they never did anything. They never even got involved with this. They were just saved. And um, Kenneth Bailey defines repentance in this parable. It says, accepting that someone has found me and saved me. So for so long, I, and I know I'm not the only one, but for so long I strive, I suffer, I scratch the very edges of my mind and my heart to present my whole heart to God, but I always, I always feel like I'm, it's not complete, it's not full. 
Sometimes I feel like I had to uh, exfoliate my heart and find every little part. And otherwise, I, I don't find that full repentance. And I'm telling you, that is baloney. That was the most destructive pattern in my life. You can't even fully repent on our own. Our hearts are so broken. In this parable, it's the response of real repentance is somebody goes and does all of the work to find you, to pick you up, and to bring you back into a place. And there's two approaches to this. There are people who are in the wilderness. They got really lost. And then there are people who are lost in the house. They got found a little crack and they got lodged and are hidden in the house. So you can see two people at the party. You got the sinners who go wild. Then you got people who are still in the house. And the parable is for both of them. They're all lost. They all need a shepherd. They need a woman to find them. Both of them are wrong. And so I'm just going to ask maybe a few things that I'm going to try this week as a response to this, this parable. I'm, and I'm going to offer it as well as, as our church family and those who are listening. First of all, when you find yourself to do the most immo- immature response, um, blame, shift your mind to find a solution. I saw it in the, um, in the parking lot of a, of a store. I saw a person who was coming into, I think it was um, a grocery store, maybe it was um, Home Depot or whatever, and um, there was a person who was coming up to the, the door and they forgot their mask and they have a kid. And they had to turn around and a woman says, I have an extra mask. And she says, no, that's all right, I'll go get it. She says, no, let me, I have more. She went and pulled out a box. She had several, and she gave that. that. Those steps to go all the way through the parking lot to help that person. It's like, this is a problem I can solve. This is something I can bring um, to a place and, and bring help to this situation. And we can always criticize things or we can find things that are faulty, but find a solution. It's easy to do it most of the time. And also, we're never going to find that redemption for people. You're never going to find people to bring solutions into their lives until you have proximity. In a time of pandemic, we're supposed to keep distance, but there's a lot of different ways that you can have proximity with people. It's with your words. Don't say the same words again and again. Find ways to speak and permeate into the hearts of people. Let them know what they mean to you. Say words that are infirming, um, thankfulness, all the things that you're grateful for, things that you hope for, what will happen when we can do. I want you to permeate those membranes of the basic conversations and get in closer to people like Jesus was doing. If you can't do in a meal, At a table, do it with your words. And then, what would happen if we were a people who were just 
known to be celebrating these great stories. The people who are alive, um, who are dead again, finding those things, and this is what we're gonna clap our hands for, or sing our songs to. We're gonna celebrate those things. We're known to be a people who celebrate, and what happens? What happens? When the leaders who can find moments to criticize, when all heaven are looking an opportunity to have joy and celebrate for somebody who's lost and found. So I'm looking at all those opportunities to practice. The last one, I think it starts when the heart. The part of this that's the repentance part. I have a hard time letting someone help me. I like to do it myself. I like to find my solutions. And sometimes I do it in a combination with God, but I think the repentance in this parable is teaching us to allow God to do all of it for us. There's something that we can do to do that. I was thinking about our young people who are lifeguards in um, the pools and the beaches and things like that. You know, if you're going to save somebody who's drowning, it's very difficult to save someone who's thrashing and fighting and trying to do it by themselves. The only way that you can actually be saved by a lifeguard is to stop and let them do it. They're strong enough to swim for both of you. They're wise enough to know what, how to do it for both of you. And if you trust them, they'll bring you all the way to the shore. It's very hard to do that. Maybe today we need to do that as well. As we, um, before we do our um, final hymn together, I just wanna pray a prayer of repentance. Maybe it's a time that we should stop and say, Lord, it's your time to do this for me. And we'll do that and then we'll sing and we'll um, find ways to practice this parable in our lives this week. God, I know today I'm the worst. I'm the chief of sinners. I can talk about repentance, but this is the hardest thing for me to do. To let you do the things that I know I should do. So I invite you to save me. No struggle, <laughs> no fight. Just accept you for doing the work that you came to do. I invite my sisters and my brothers around the world right now to do the same thing, to accept what God has done for us that will prepare us to bring us closer to other people into this world, sinners, <laughs> people who are in the house or outside. We're all broken the same way. So as you do that, Lord, cover us with your grace and we'll praise you with our songs, our words, and our actions this week.
Again, thank you for joining us this week. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and we're so glad you worshiped with us this Sabbath. Please let us know where you're joining us from. You can send us a message on our social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on our church website. And we pray that you have a wonderful week and God's richest blessings go with you.